Well, it is great to be together today, uh, virtually, as we continue leaning into what it means to be the church. At Access, we always said church is not a building, church is not a meeting, church is a people following Jesus together. And now that we have no building and literally cannot meet, uh, we're getting to put into practice um, what we believe with acts of love and mercy towards each other and towards our neighbors. Uh, So we're going to read the scripture in just a moment. We're going to be reading in the book of Esther. Um, But before we do, I'm going to give us a recap of where the story's been, because we're starting uh, in chapter four, you know, like the Star Wars franchise or something. We start in chapter four. Uh, So uh, coming up before we read the scripture, this is uh, previously on Esther. What you need to know is that the Babylonian Empire conquered God's people in Judah and carried them into captivity in Babylon around 600 BC. Then about 70 years later, the Persian Empire conquered the Babylonian Empire. Now in the midst of all that mess and chaos, some of the Jews were permitted to return to their homeland and start rebuilding their nation. Uh, But many other Jews remained in exile, living in the Persian Empire. And this is a story from them. It's the story of a Jewish orphan girl named Hadassah living in Susa, the capital city of the ancient Persian Empire. When Hadassah's parents died, she was adopted and raised by her relative, a man named Mordecai. Hadassah and Mordecai are descendants of those Jews that did not return to Judah, but are making their home in exile. And the story starts uh, with the king, uh, Ahasuerus or Xerxes, depending on your translation. I'm going to just call him the king. The king is getting drunk with his buddies. And after drinking for a week straight, he gets this idea. He calls for his wife, Vashti, to come and give a sexual performance to him and his friends. And she refuses to do it because she knows that in a room full of drunken, wealthy politicians, she's an easy target for humiliation for abuse or worse. And how does the king respond? He responds by throwing her out of the palace. And then with the help of his buddies, he writes national legislation, ordering not just his wife, but all women to obey their husbands. National legislation. Can you say disproportionate response? Can you say thin-skinned, power-tripping man-baby? Ugh. The horror continues. In order to find a new queen, the king then acquires by his power teenage girls from around the empire. One of them is Hadassah, and Mordecai, fearing for Hadassah's safety, says, Don't tell them you're Jewish. Uh, Change your name to something they can pronounce in their own language. Let's say uh, Esther. Hide your identity. Try to survive. And after adding many trafficked teenagers to his harem, the king finally settles on Esther as his favorite and makes her his queen. Fast forward five years. Mordecai, despite his good citizenship and excellent service to the king, gets passed over for a promotion when the king appoints a shady character named Haman to be the royal advisor. And the king lets everybody know that when Haman walks by, they need to bow down to him. But Mordecai refuses to bow. 
possibly because he knows Haman's shady past, but maybe just because an observant Jew shouldn't bow to anyone but God. In any case, Mordecai doesn't bow. So, what does Haman do? He continues with the tradition of being a thin-skinned, power-tripping baby man. He convinces the king to adopt a plan to exterminate not just Mordecai, but all the Jewish people in all 127 provinces of all the Persian Empire. Haman and the king write up the plan, they send it out, and then they get drunk together. And that's where chapter 4 picks up. I'm going to read today from the Revised Standard Version, Esther chapter 4. And as I read, I invite you to give your full attention to the reading of God's Word. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai, so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what was happening and why. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for thirty days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything 
as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, this is a troubling story, and we live in troubling times. Jesus, there's so much I want to say about this text and about this passage, but we know that it matters less what I will say and more what you will say. So I pray that as I speak today, Holy Spirit, you would seek out uh, the intimate places of the heart of everyone listening, and that you might speak to us a word that our Creator knows for each one of us, our situation, our community, the calling you have on our life. And I pray that as we go over the Scripture together, your holy fire would burn in the hearts of each one listening and in our midst. And all these things we pray, Spirit of God, speak through the Word of God to the people of God. Amen. Amen. So it should be obvious from my introduction, but I'll just say it very clearly right now. The book of Esther is not a love story. It kind of blows my mind that it has been billed as a love story in the past because it is not a love story. The book of Esther is a story of how the fragile egos of powerful men threaten to destroy the lives of individuals and whole communities. I'm going to say that again. The fragile egos of powerful men threaten to destroy the lives of individuals and whole communities. Just saying that out loud makes me feel a little sick. Sick in my heart, sick in my gut, sick in my mind. It's like, why is it that it seems like the worst people have the most power? The fact that national legislation affecting the lives of vulnerable people throughout a society can be written and enacted by the debauched purveyors of rape culture makes me sick. But at the same time, at the same time, I'm glad. I'm glad this story is in our scriptures. I'm glad about it. Because if our faith is an individualistic, therapeutic religion, we will have to look away from the hard and heartbreaking realities of systemic evil. If our faith is an individualistic, therapeutic religion, we will simply have to throw up our hands and say, I guess there are some things we just tolerate. I guess there are some things that God just won't get involved in. I guess there are just some places where Jesus doesn't need to be Lord. And yet here, in our holy book, is a witness of God's very involvement with a people whose lives are threatened by a toxic, racist patriarchy. Here in our holy book is a witness that God is able to stop evil legislation that puts the lives of people at risk. Here in our holy book is a witness that God does not abandon those who are most in danger from the violence of the powerful. And so I am glad today that this story is in our scriptures. And I am also glad that this story is in our scriptures. 
Because the book of Esther is a witness that God interrupts evil when we tell the truth. I'll say it again. God interrupts evil when we tell the truth. If you remember anything from the word today, remember this. God interrupts evil when we tell the truth. Right where you are, I invite you to say it out loud with me. Say, tell the truth. I heard you. God interrupts evil when we tell the truth. God interrupts evil when we tell the truth about our system. God interrupts evil when we tell the truth about our neighbor. And God interrupts evil when we tell the truth about ourselves. Check out Mordecai. Mordecai tells the truth about the system. I think Mordecai has been a go-along to get-along kind of minority. I'm saying he's, he's the kind of guy who will overlook a little bit of cultural ignorance or prejudice because it's part of his survival strategy. And he passes the same thing on to Hadassah. He teaches her the same thing. He gives her that classic ethnic minority survival tip. Don't let them know about your culture and your identity. Change your name. Hide your story. Protect yourself from their prejudice. He's going along to get along. He teaches Hadassah to do the same. But when the decree goes out that all the Jews are to be slaughtered, Mordecai realizes that going along to get along is no longer working. And now he feels compelled to tell the truth that the system is threatening to kill him and everybody like him. And he drops that respectable appearance, dresses himself in abrasive sackcloth, this uncomfortable material that would have scratched his skin. He covers himself in ashes and dirt, which is uh, not just for the Jewish community. This is the international sign of mourning, the international sign of grief. And the text says, he went through the city wailing with a loud and bitter cry. Now, imagine what this is like. You're living in Susa. You're commuting to work, or uh, maybe you work from home because of the pandemic. I don't know. But here's this Jew. You know, his accent is different. His speech pattern is different. His haircut is different because, you know, you're from here. And your family's from here, but this guy's Jewish. He's different than you. And here he is in the street, covered in dirt and ashes, screaming that the king and the system are going to kill him. Mordecai has gone from respectable to disruptive. What he is doing is disrupting the normal order of business. And his lament is so powerful, it catches the moment, it catches the crisis the people are feeling. The protest goes viral, and soon all the Jews in the empire are dressing in sackcloth and ashes. They have mobilized and hit the streets, and they are wailing that this injustice is being done. Uh, Just curious here, did you catch Esther's initial response to Mordecai's protest? Did you see it? It's in verse 4. Go ahead, take a look. It says she was deeply distressed. 
she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth. In other words, Esther's saying, Mordecai, I love you. I hear you. We go way back. But you are sending your message the wrong way. You can Google tone policing if you don't understand what Esther's doing. See, even as a piece of the king's property, Esther's years of privilege in the heart of the empire have insulated her from the intensity of her people's suffering. This wave may take out Mordecai, but she can survive it. And so she says, Mordecai, pull yourself together. We'll think of something. But Mordecai is not having it. See, the point of Mordecai's protest is to make people uncomfortable. The point of protest is to make people uncomfortable enough to consider changing the way things are. And Mordecai is making people uncomfortable by making it clear to everyone that his community is facing a life and death reality. Now, the onlookers and the listeners might not be experiencing that, but Mordecai and his people are. And his protest is intended to make somebody uncomfortable enough to consider changing the way things are. So my question for us is, are we listening to the truth about our system from the people who are experiencing it. Not from politicians, not from YouTubers, not from cable news hosts, and not from memes, please God, but from the actual people who are actually experiencing the system. I have to say that my life was forever changed when I began to listen to the stories, the real stories of my real live black friends experiencing interaction with the police system and the justice system. It totally blew my mind as I realized they were, uh, they were involved in a world that I did not know about or understand. And because my friends told me the truth, I was brought to a much deeper understanding and awareness of the evil that is at work in that system. And God will use our truth-telling to interrupt evil. Are we listening to the truth of the system from the people who experience its evil? God will use that truth-telling to interrupt evil. And Esther decides to stop tone-policing Mordecai. She gets curious, and she sends Hathak to learn more. Uh, so Hathak is one of the king's eunuchs, eunuchs pardon me, who's been appointed to attend Esther, and she sends him to Mordecai to learn what's happening and why. He meets with Mordecai. Mordecai tells Hathak what's going on and, and gives Hathak the details because Esther doesn't actually have the details, he, uh, but Mordecai's got a copy of the written decree, gets it to Hathok uh, so that he can explain it to her, and they begin to pass information. Uh, and what I see in Hathok, what the text shows, is the practice of telling the truth about our neighbor. I think Hathok is such an interesting person um, because... He was a eunuch, 
um, serving the king by attending Esther. He would have had to build trust with Esther to be in this position of confidence. Um, and yet uh, we don't hear about him a lot. Um, but what we see in Hathok is the practice of telling the truth about our neighbor. Family, did you know we don't have to talk politics in order to love our neighbor? Did you know we don't have to convince anyone to agree with us about anything in order to love our neighbor? All Hathok does is get the story from Mordecai and bring it back to Esther. That's it. It's up to Esther to do something about it or not. And I read several commentaries. Uh, I've heard a few sermons. I've never heard or read anybody talking about Hathok, which is too bad because what Hathok does here is beautiful. He builds trust with Esther in spite of her differences. He humbles himself and manages his discomfort around Mordecai's protest so that he can understand and learn and communicate what's going on. Hathok tells the truth about their neighbor moves the information from somebody experiencing the system to somebody who can do something about it. Hathoth doesn't grab any headlines, but he is used by God to interrupt the racist evil of his society. He is used by God to work through relational channels and bring the truth that he's learning from his neighbors to the hearing of people who can do something about it. A number of you have been Hathok in our church. You've let me know, you've let us know about the needs and the experiences and the realities of our houseless friends. You've let us know about the situation of our undocumented friends. You've been Hathok for us. So I invite us all, let's continue to be Hathok. Let's listen to our neighbors and tell the truth about what they are going through. And the last thing I want to say is that God interrupts evil when we tell the truth about ourselves. Dominique Gilliard, uh, who uh, you might know from his book, Rethinking Incarceration, uh, he's got another book coming out called uh, Subversive Witness, should be out next summer. Um, and he's got this powerful quote in there, it says this, Empires coerce people, especially vulnerable individuals, to hide, suppress, and deny parts of who they truly are. Empires flourish when marginalized people are stripped of their culture, language, and traditions. Earlier, I called this a survival strategy, right? See, dominant culture makes a deal with marginalized people and says, if you hide this part of yourself, if you don't give us the unedited version of what it's like to be alive in your skin, then you get a piece of this pie. And as a result, women, immigrants, People of color, queer people, the world has demanded that we fall in line and edit ourselves so that we do not interrupt the systems that feed us with their leftovers. So that we uh, justify and validate a system that dehumanizes people by varying levels in order to keep the powerful in their position. But scripture declares that God made us who we are. 
and that God loves who we are. And God's work, my friends, does not need an editor. And through the prayers of her people, through fasting and more prayer, Esther finds the courage to say to the king, if you're taking these people down, you have to take me too. If you're going after them, you have to go through me because I am one of them. Even though she didn't have to do it, even though she could have said no, even though it put her life at risk, she tells the king, if you're going after them, you have to go through me. And God interrupts evil when we tell the truth about ourselves and the Jewish people are saved from destruction. And when the God of the universe saw that the powerful abused the weak, that same God took on human form in the person of Jesus, lived a human life, a life of beauty and also of struggle. And at his death on the cross, he says to the forces of evil and oppression, if you're going after them, you have to go through me because I am one of them. And in his life, in his death and in his resurrection, Jesus doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth that if we do violence, to one human life, of any race or any gender, we do violence to God and we do violence to ourselves. Jesus doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth. That God will not abandon us to the violence of evil systems or the emptiness of evil people or evil in our own hearts. He has come to interrupt evil with the truth. I wonder how we might respond today. Are we called like Mordecai to loudly protest the evil of the system by telling the truth about what it is doing? Has God given you an opportunity in your life to be humble like Hathok, to humbly listen to your neighbor, to hear their story and share it with those who might be able to make a difference? Or is God moving in you the way the Spirit moved with Esther, calling you to be honest about who you are, honest about the things in your heart and the convictions growing in you and the words that you must speak in the hearing of powerful people? How is the Spirit leading you today? Let's close in prayer together. Creator God, when the world was broken, full of trouble, full of evil and oppression, you took on flesh. You stood among the suffering and you told the forces of evil, if you want to get to them, you must go through me because I am one of them. 
You are a marvelous God. There is no other God like you. There is no other love like this. We give you praise for that love. We say glory and hallelujah to your name, Lord Jesus. And in this moment, when the reality of evil people in power and the reality of evil systems is threatening to destroy so many lives, the lives of those who are directly under the oppression of the system, but also the lives of those of us who are afraid to tell the truth about ourselves because of the system. We cry out for your power. We cry out for your power. Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of the Word made flesh, we pray, give us the conviction of Mordecai. Give us the humility of Hathak. And give us the courage of Esther. Courage, Lord Jesus, that mirrors your own. By the power of your Spirit, and in your mighty and beautiful and precious name, we pray. Amen.